The million dollar question, how do entrepreneurs transition from self-employed to owning a business that turns a profit? My name is Chris Waters, and this podcast has the million dollar answer. Welcome to CEO Secrets. Guys, welcome to CEO Secrets. I've got a very special guest on today, Colton, who is one of the leading experts in prospecting, a nationally recognized uh, coach, trainer, super enthusiastic speaker, was a very successful, still is a very successful real estate agent, selling over 75 homes a year. Um, Colton, welcome to the podcast. What's up, my man? How are you? I'm good. We were just talking about the beard, the, the COVID-19 beard. <laughs> you know what? I actually was growing this beard before COVID-19 for the ski season. And then I got a little freaked out. I was like, oh, that virus might be able to live in that little thing. I better shave it. So I shaved it at the start of COVID-19. And then I was like, ah, I'm just going to let it grow back. So here it is again. <laughs> Where, and you're in Salt Lake City, right? I uh, just know the Salt Lake. I'm in Ogden. My hometown is Ogden. Yeah. And um, Colton, how old are you? I just, ooh, I'll be 36 this year. I'm 35, almost 36, a couple months. Cool, man. Well, we're yeah. very similar in age. How old are you? I just turned 36. Oh, did you? Sweet, yeah. man. So you've got a, a YouTube, um, you know, you've got a YouTube channel and, you know, you've got a decent uh, subscriber count, somewhere north of 7,000 subscribers on your YouTube. I'm, I'm kind of curious, um, you know, what your opinion is on uh, social media from a lead generation perspective for people in the real estate industry. And then my, my follow-up to that is, why is it that very few people in real estate, even people that like, you know, don't have geographic restrictions around um, where their clientele are, for example, coaches and trainers and speakers, why do they still not have big followings compared to other people on YouTube that, you know, have got 10 million subscribers? So, so let's, let's start yeah. the discussion on the lead gen side for agents and then go down that rabbit hole. Listen, so when it comes to social media, that just happens to be a platform where marketing happens. And I think it's important to get clear for your audience what the difference is between marketing and advertising. Marketing is where I spend time, effort, energy, and money into my brand in front of people that already know me, right? Advertising is where I spend that time, effort, energy, money into people that don't know who I am. And I think there was a time in social media where you could get a lot of organic growth and it helped generate leads. I don't think we're in that era anymore, truthfully, unless you spend a lot of time commenting on shit. Um, I think the name of the game is you got to pay to play. And so you have to understand, how am I going to spend my dollars? Am I going to spend it on marketing to retarget to my audience that already knows me? Or am I going to be spending it on advertising to put it in front of the uh, audience that doesn't know me yet that I'm going to bring into my my tribe and i think there needs to be a, a bit of both um but if i hear what you're saying what you're saying is learn how to how to you know basically from a marketing perspective learn how to buy leads versus building up brand equity because that probably takes a really long time and there's not yeah, enough well, scale well it, organically to do that it's difficult to do with the platforms today the whole reason facebook instagram snapchat youtube any of them exist is very simple it's about dollars through advertising that people spend. That's, that's how the game is played with them, right? So when you ask that follow-up question with why do some people not have a ton of following, followers and they're in the coaching industry, whatever, 
uh, number one is they started too late. Number two is it's very difficult to get followers in the educational side of things without spending tons of money onto it. Um, and number three is I don't think it's really relevant anymore to have to have a big following to, to, to make a profitable business. I don't know about you. I'm in business for fucking profit. I'm not in business for people to know who I am because that really doesn't matter to me. I think there was a time where that helped. I don't think it's as important anymore. I guess I'm just, you know, I'm like, as I survey the landscape of people in the real estate industry, you know, the only guy that I see that is, you know, got this huge subscriber base is Ryan Serhant, who was on, you know, the Bravo channel, million dollar um, Which agent. he's playing at a different level because he's got a TV show. Yeah. And so it's easier for him to get him following. But if you take a look at that, he's going to have a good chunk of people that are realtors, but he's going to have a lot of those that aren't realtors. Mm -hmm. And so his target market, he's got to get clear on who his target market is. And he's done a great job with it, right? He's been fantastic at turning it and monetizing it into his programs that he offers. Um, but that's a platform that you and I don't have. I don't have Bravo or HGTV or whatever he's on. I don't, I don't watch a show, but I'm not on that to be in front of that and getting millions and millions of people. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, something interesting about this whole like concept of, you know, building a, an audience online viral and, you know, through a viral approach and not, you know, paying to play, if you will, from a money perspective, there's, there's people out there doing it, you know, like there's, these videos of, you know, I've got, I've got a three-year-old that watches this crap on YouTube that gets like 50 million For sure. Hits. No, there are different, like, you know what, my three, my five-year-old, or even my eight-year-old, they watch this thing, uh, oh, frick, Ch Chad Wild Clay, dude. He does like the ninja, like ninja group or something, right? Dude, they got millions and millions and millions, right? And, and then that's, but that's a different type of market. You know what I mean? Their target market are kids. Your target market how, who do you know besides Ryan Serhant that 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 has a, a how to educational target market? It's just because it's not it's not. You know, I think a good example would be what's his name? He has the, Lopez. The, he's you know he paid to play big time, but uh, yeah. Valuetainment. I think it's Patrick Fitz uh, Patrick Bet David. He's done a great job at growing his, and so his whole idea is valuable. Uh, entertainment so entertainment stuff he's going to entertain you with but it's going to be valuable and educational i think that's a really cool concept but the, i think when we look at, at what we're like joshua smith you brought that up at the beginning he doesn't have a ton of followers that dude makes a ton of fucking money right his businesses are very successful because he understands that the the marketing process and you can pay X amount of dollars to get X amount of leads at X amount of cost. It's a much more predictable business. Mm -hmm. It really, really is. Um, but he's marketing, he's mar yeah, they're marketing to a much bigger audience than correct real estate agent would be in a local market. So, yeah, so I, if there's one takeaway for anybody watching this right now that I think you and I, you and I can both agree on, it's like don't overcomplicate the advertising component yeah. to find success as an agent. Like you don't have to, you know, build viral videos and have big subscriber bases. But to my point earlier, I'm just, I guess I'm surprised there's not more people that have larger followings and more success in real estate than, you know, someone like Ryan Serant who has a show. Like, you know, why, like why aren't there more people that have bigger? Well, you followers? look at, and I don't know how many viewers or followers he has on YouTube, but I think a really good example of YouTube is Brian Casella. He's got, Last I saw about 200,000 subscribers, yet 
what helped him get to that in my my belief is is he really promoted his lamborghini and his g uh his nissan gtr a lot and that created a lot of followers but even him because i i i I have a really great relationship with him. He said, he said, Hey, my organic views are going down. They're they're just going, he's got 200,000 followers and the number of views per video are going down. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you have to constantly shift with that. You know, mm-hmm. Ricky Carruth, great example. He's got a great following on YouTube. He bought it though. You can see all over his, his paid advertising has really worked well for him as he's joined EXP and he has a lot of affiliate programs. He makes probably, he'll probably do seven figures just in that part of his business this year, but he built that not organically. Like even his Instagram followers, right? He went from, I don't know, 50,000 to over 200,000 because he paid to, to getting giveaways and things like that. And so, and, and, and he, he'll be the first one to say, Hey, you know, it wasn't worth it uh, because it's all about how do I convert into my funnel? And if these are like, you want people that are going to be engaging in it and, and right. you have to get in front of those engagements. What are, what's like a, a book you've read recently that you really like that's specific to marketing, lead generation, advertising. What's something you've read that you've found interesting? Dude. You know, a great book, and it's not specific to that, but it, it's, it's a great on thinking to, to about such topic is The Road Less Stupid by Keith Cunningham. I don't know if you know who he is. He's, he's an amazing business strategist. He does a lot with Tony, Tony Robbins at Business Mastery and stuff. But in there, he always talks about we're always trying to create solutions to problems that we don't even know are the problems. And instead of just looking at what's the real problem here and making making those adjustments. And for me, like I, I, I sell real estate at a different level than you do. I don't know, you guys, how many units you guys do a year now? Well, it's, it's a little convoluted when people ask me that question because we've got our main office and then we've got 10 other uh, expansion teams, so. Right, so you're playing a different. Let's just take one of your main. Let's take your main office. How many units a year? Uh, this year, a little north of a thousand transactions. Okay, so that's a thousand units. How many people really doing a thousand units in their organization? Not very many, right? Okay. Most of the people that are going to listen to your program, they're probably doing less than a hundred units. So. Mm-hmm. I look at it as if you're doing less than that, you should probably be spending your money on your marketing, which is building your brand with inside of your relationships you already have. Now, if you're looking to scale it like you are, you didn't do that just based on marketing to your network. You also did it on spending advertising dollars, whether that was Zillow or Facebook or PPC, whatever. You yeah. had to spend money on outside leads to generate that. And too often, someone will hop on a podcast like this and they'll see what, what some badass like you is doing. Like, fuck, I want to do that. I go spend a bunch of money here. But they haven't built their foundation yet. You didn't yeah. just go straight to that. You built the foundation. And yeah. I think that's the part that, that a lot of realtors need to get. Business owners in general, what's your fucking foundation? Are you built solidly on that? Then yeah. pick the way you want to expand. If it's built badass like expansions like you have, do it that way. If it's get into an infopreneurship, which I think is a great opportunity, I mean, it's you can build multiple seven figures. Like, I think it's easier to build a $10 million a year business in entrepreneurship than it is uh, expansions, truthfully. So Colton, you are selling about 75 homes a year, working four days a week. And are you, are you also, you're, you're working with um, agents across the country, helping coach and train them? Yeah. So, well, here's how I personally don't sell real estate myself anymore. My team does it. Now I have a brokerage. I don't think it even says the brokerage in there. So I've got about 40 agents in my brokerage. Um, a brokerage probably does 200 units, something like that. Um, I don't follow that as close. My, my business partner does. 
but with my team, my team probably does 65, 75 deals a year, but I don't do any of those, right? And that's all a residual business for me. I don't have to spend a ton of my, like time, effort, or energy into it. Kind of self-runs it right now. Um, and then I run my academy, and there's two parts to that. One of them is the mastermind, which is not really coaching at all. It's more of a community focused around scaling a business, creating financial freedom, which is, which is tax-free wealth, leverage residual income, cash flow management, and then being fulfilled to the core, being addicted to life and, and having that state of peace and excitement and joy. Um, so that's my, my higher program. That's about 10 grand a year for that program. And then I have my alliance program, which is for, for agents doing less than 150K a year. I believe that's a very pivotal point. And so it's, it's, a, it's a group coaching program to get them to that 150K a year mark. You have some audio files called Winning the Inner Game. Tell me more about that. It's one of my very first products. I love it. So what I did is I created these audio files based on the unconscious mind. Okay, so that all they are as very powerful declarations that I've used in my life that I spoke to myself to, to create more self-certainty, more self-worth, more self, to increase my vision of myself. Give us some examples. I love my life. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, here, here's one for finances. Money comes to me easily and frequently. I am an excellent money manager. Uh, passive income. I am an excellent uh, passive income creator. Opportunities always come my way. I create my life. I create the exact amount of financial success. That's, that's some, some money ones, right? Do you, um, did, you, did this stuff come naturally to you or did you read some books? Like, What was the inflection point to lead you down this path of the conscious versus subconscious mind? I remember the exact book it was for me. It was, I was in Brazil serving a, a Mormon mission and I was in the later half of my mission because you're there for two years. I don't know if you know much about the Mormons. And then I had discovered in Portuguese, because Brazilians speak Portuguese, the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. So I read that book in Portuguese and because of um, Portuguese was not my native language, I could really get clear on uh, patterns in the book. And I realized that was the first time at 21 just well, 20, almost 21, I realized if I did certain things, I could get different outcomes. Before then, I just didn't, I just thought life happened to me. And that was when I began to realize it could happen for me. I could, I could shift my future. But then it came clear, I think there's two stages for me. It was for the longest time, what do I want out of life, right? What do I want to create? What do I want to do financially? How do I want to live? I think that's important. But then it gets beyond that space into what is life asking of me? What, what, what does life want from me? And instead of asking what do I want, but what does life want? And then I think you're really directed to the, to the destiny that you're, you're here for, to the whole purpose that you're here for on earth. What is that for you? For me, it's simple to make a difference with my, t my gifts and my talents that I have, whether that's in my real estate community, like my buyers and sellers, whether that's with my team, my organization, my community, uh, or even people listening to this podcast. At the end of this conversation, I have so much certainty in myself that your audience, it will add value to their lives in a positive form. That right there is my purpose. That's it. On a separate note, um, Colt, what are, what are you doing from a, a wealth building perspective? What are you investing in? What are you interested in? Any right. emerging technologies you're into? What, um, blockchain, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin? Yeah, like no, I think, I, think, I think crypto is a part of my portfolio. And I'm really excited about gold and silver right now and crypto. I think gold and silver is God's money. 
I think U.S. dollars on its way out. I don't know how soon, but I don't. With all this fucking helicopter money going on, I don't understand how that fiat currency will last much, much longer. But cryptocurrency is a people's currency. It's it's decentralized. Um, it's decentralized. I only stay in Bitcoin because it's one of the more prominent ones. I don't, I'm not about trading it. I look about how many bits do I have? How many Bitcoins do I own? I don't care what the value of the dollar is on it. Um, and I, I have invested in some ICOs. I got one called Audit Chain. That's a, it's, I'm not making money on it. I know that. But um, I think Bitcoin is really powerful in that, that aspect. I, I have a, a really great side of my portfolio in real estate. I have a great side of it in, in stock market as well. I trade. I day trade. What, um, what do you think has prevented blockchain technology from disrupting the title industry? And why uh, I think I think old school lawmakers, truthfully, there's so no know. way there. I mean, there has to be some sort of regulation, which for a while, like you think, I think it was what end of 17 when Bitcoin went off and, you know, Ethereum and difference. There was just no there was no regulation when all these ICOs were happening. And I think now we're beginning to create that regulation. I think you'll see it. I think right now the pandemic is forcing it that way even more. For people listening to this that don't know what ICO stands for, it stand it, it means initial coin offering when they roll out a new cryptocurrency. So something interesting that I stumbled across recently is the United Kingdom last year did a uh, pilot with Cosense. Did I pronounce it right? Cosense. Um, it's the Ethereum. Uh, it's Ethereum's uh, like co-creator. Um, Cosens and they basically took in, in the United Kingdom uh, the the property records are stored in uh, what's called HMLR um, and it stands for Her Majesty's Land Records and so they took a physical asset and they token they created a token out of that physical asset and they were able to successfully tokenize uh, real property records. And have that transparent, you know, chain of title um, be visible on the Ethereum network, and it was a, you know, it was a, it was a the pilot proved to be successful, and then um, last year the first property ever in Switzerland sold on a digital um, platform um, using it was purchased using um, uh, cryptocurrency. And uh, people bought in a fractional ownership, and the entire thing was done digital, and there were no middlemen, no middlemen yeah. through the whole process. Yeah, I think you're going to see more of that coming our way. The um, if anybody wants to research this, the platform is um, the website. You can find the investment platform is blockimmo.ch, and you can and the property is called Zephyr. It was the first one ever sold in uh, Switzerland. It's pretty Sweet. cool. Yeah. So, um, it, and then um, what are you doing on the real estate side? Are you looking for cash flow or are you looking for flip deals? What are you doing? Uh, I, so I don't do flips cause I don't want to manage the, them. I do wholesales. Like I got a deal right now that we're doing, bought it for two twenty seven and it's selling for two fifty same day. So that's, I mean, I'll do deals like that, but that's not really investing. That's more transactional. Um, mm -hmm. but I own rental properties. I really love cash flow. Uh, and then right now I'm developing, it's about 157 unit storage unit building that I mean, my partner are developing. So that's my current project. 
How did you know the storage unit would be successful? Did you hire a consultant to do like a feasibility study for you? No, I mean, I've, I've been studying for a long time. I'm friends with one of the longtime developers here. Um, he's owned a lot of storage units. And so, I mean, he's known me since I was a kid, so I'm blessed that way. And I just met with him. And then I just started researching on how to do the my own market research. And um, so I'd already had an interest in him. And then someone brought a property to my business partner and we started looking at it and it was already zoned for storage units. Um, and so we're like, this is it. This is what we want. And we already, too, right within it, um, one of the major companies there, they had just bought about 170-unit storage building, and they tore it down because they just created more parking space for their for their business, which was, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a multiple hundred million dollar business, right? So they're not looking to, to, they're not caring for storage units. Plus the town right next to it, a mile and a half west, has got 2,500 townhomes slated to go in. They just built another 400 apartments. The demand is ridiculous for it in the area. So just do my own market research. Cool. So it, sound, it sounds like, are, are you kind of shifting towards, you know, just being completely focused on uh, cash flow streams or do you see a bigger organization you're trying to create outside of your cash flows? Are you trying um, to do all this in tandem? So I don't see the, I don't really have a big desire to build a huge organization. Um, I'm more focused on cash flow. Um, what I would see a major growth in would be my academy. Um, my ideal target is I have 150 mastermind partners. I'm about 50 right now. And I want to have 600 Alliance members in, in my beginner program. We've got about 120 right now. So I want to focus on that. I, I work about three and a half, four days a week. I spend a lot of time with my kids. I spend a lot of time skiing in the wintertime. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, I just, I'm just, I'm all about leverage residual income. That's, that's the name of the game for me. Are shelter in place orders lifted in Salt Lake City? Not so much in Salt Lake, but everywhere else in Utah. Utah was one of the nine best states. Um, I mean, a lot of us too. We're kind of wild, wild west out here, so we just we didn't really pay too much attention to what they were saying and what we could or couldn't do. The restaurants probably got hit the hardest, but even some of those were just like, "I'm not rolling like this." When do you when like when do you think you'll ever get back on a plane again? Uh, I might be flying in June. You know, if I had a reason to fly, I'd fly right now. I just don't have a reason to fly right now. Um, I might be flying to Vegas in June to uh, meet with Brad Lee on his podcast. So it just depends on how that works out. Do you have any concerns? I'm not, I'm truthfully, I'm not worried. I'm, I'm not, I am not concerned that I am not concerned with coronavirus at all. Is it real? Absolutely. Do you think there's any, sh are there any short-term opportunities on the real estate investment side due to Corona? And if so, what would you, what do you yeah, think those are? I, listen, I believe right now is the greatest opportunity in the history of my entire life, right? Like you've got helicopter. I mean, dude, I got, I got that, that idol. They're ready to deposit 150 grand in my bank today or tomorrow. Like, are you kidding me? 150 grand for 2.75. You can go turn. If you can't turn that into way more money than, than there's something wrong with you. <laughs> um, and, and right now, too, there's a lot of scarcity. I think it's easing a bit. You know, you see people talking about how hot the market is, this or that or the other. But truthfully, a lot of realtors are shitting their pants. And it's not because of the industry. It's because we've never faced so much uncertainty as a, as a world before. Um, and I think the people that have either are too dumb to realize that we are in a fragile state and just keep going or the people that have absolute certainty that fragility is actually a gift for them be if they're anti-fragile i think they're the ones that are going to take advantage of this i think there is so much freaking opportunity right now with 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 everything truthfully
So where, so where are you going to um, focus from a opportunities uh, seeking perspective? So always I'm, I'm looking at real estate. My major focus right now is to finish this storage unit and then I want to move into more storage units. Um, I love the stock market right now because there's a lot of stupid traders in the stock market that are trading on emotion. And when you're trading on analysis, there's a lot. Uh, when it's analytical trades, it's easy to make 40% return on your money throughout the year. So I really, I really love that opportunity right now. I think there's a huge opportunity for infopreneurship, doing exactly what you're doing, creating a podcast. And I don't know what your end game is with what you're doing, but with content creation, if you can create context and structure and people can sense your certainty, it's like uh, T. Harv Eker. I don't know if you know who he is, an, an author of a book called Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. He says, create so much value when people come to you, charge them. I think there's a huge opportunity in that right now because there's so much misinformation in media today. People want to feel a sense of certainty and leaders that can give that. I, I think they're going to have a huge opportunity to then, hey, come to my opportunity. Do you run Facebook ads driving traffic to your academy for real estate agents? Yeah, so we, uh, what we do is we target with an initial quiz. It's completely free, so they can take a quiz to find out what level of real estate agent they are, and then they have an opportunity, depending on what level they are, if they're less than 150 k they can schedule a free business strategy call with someone on my sales team. Um, and if they are more than 150, they can schedule a mastermind application with um, and go through and they have that conversation with me. Um, and then if they don't do either of those, we're retargeting them for 28 days through content value from simple things from cold call prospecting, calling a FISBO to um, managing your time, you know, things like that. We're, we're retarget them for 28 days to then get them to schedule a call with, with my sales organization. When did you get started in real estate? Colton, how old were you? I was tw uh, 21. It was October 2005 when I got licensed. So 15 did years you, ago. Almost. I've got a lot of friends that are Mormons. And for whatever reason, a lot of my Mormon friends are some of the best sales people I know. And, I, and maybe yeah. it has to do with going door to door. Um, well, I think that's a part of it. But I also think there's a major integrity part with a lot of Mormons, right? I mean, they've been taught from still a young a age. Mormon? I'm not active in the church. I, I, I mean, I, I support people that want to be a part of it, but it's not, it's not my choice at this time. So what did you, how did you pick, you know, like I know you're, you're big into prospecting, um, using the phones, inside sales. Is that a skill you developed? Um, came, came natural to you. Like, so you know what it was is I got I got home from my mission and mission missionaries are taught really well. Like you've 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 obviously read the book uh, Miracle Morning, the concept of a morning routine with powerful rituals to get your day started off right. You're taught that as a missionary, right? You get up, you exercise, you have your own study time, you study with your companion, you schedule out your day. Like you're taught that. And so when I got home, the only thing that I didn't correlate for whatever reason that what I was doing on my mission, knocking doors, is I was prospecting. I don't know, for whatever reason, I didn't get that. I needed to do that with real estate. So for about 10 months, I sucked. And then I went to a free event and the guy said, well, all you got to do is, is, is knock doors or phone call people. I was like, oh shit, this is like being a missionary. 
But one of the things I said to myself is, I don't want to fuck knock doors, dude. I've knocked so many doors in my life for two years in Brazil. I mean, I was walking like 17 miles a day. So I was like, I'm going to do the phone calls. And then it was just easier. I could talk to more people. I didn't have to walk around all day long. Um, and that's, that's, I, let me, I have a question. I'm just this total curiosity. So I don't understand the purpose behind knocking on doors. Like what is your ultimate objective um, knocking on doors uh, on a mission on, yeah. on a mission is the same thing. So just like you're knocking on doors for real estate, you're prospecting for leads. The church is genius. In, in fact, I think the church, the Mormon church and Keller Williams have very identical business models. And, and I mean the book of Mormon, the, what is it? The, the millionaire real estate agent, they both have that book that they're giving out to people outside of the cult, outside of the, right. And then they're inviting them in and then they bring them to their events, whether it's family reunion or whether it's to their church or whatever. Right. So the purpose when we're Mormons is you go knock doors to set up appointments, to teach discussions, give the, give a listing presentation basically. Right. And so you go through and teach them these six different discussions. And at the end of them, the close is to invite them to get baptized into the Mormon church. So you're ultimately trying to convert somebody to be hundred percent. You're the whole purpose of Mormons is out there to, to convert people into the church. Dude, that has got to be the hardest sales job there is. That's, so now, you know, now, you know why oh Mormons are great salespeople, dude. Oh my God. And I think in my mission, I, I don't remember the exact number, but I had to have baptized somewhere to 50, somewhere around 50 people into the Mormon church while I was there. Wow. That's, so, I mean, that's like 24 months I was there. So I'm, I was on average baptizing two people per month to join a cult. What does that script look like? You knock on the door. Like I've actually never had a Mormon knock on my door. What's that? I can't even that? remember. It's been so long. Truthfully. I think, I mean, it revolved around a lot of like, uh, Hey, we're more, we're, I'm Colton or elder. I'm elder Lindsay. And it was all in Portuguese too. So I had to go do this in Portuguese. I was doing it in another language, dude. Right. And, uh, so we just say, Hey, I'm elder Lindsay with the Mormon church or the church of Jesus Christ. Latter-day Saints is what we say in Portuguese. And, um, Anyways, I was just stopping by to see if, you know, you've heard about the, the Mormon church and you start talking about them, see if they believe in Christ. And then the, I can't even remember what my clothes was on it. Truthfully, it's been, I don't know, I came home in 2005 or something. Two, yeah, so 15 years. <laughs> Basically, we would invite them, hey, if you could have a happier life and, 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 and be more fulfilled, would you want to hear more about it? And so how many doors would you have to knock on before you ha like got somebody to even, you know, be willing to listen to you? Not that many as you would think, truthfully. I mean, Brazil loves God. There's, there's some religious folks. So, I mean, I could, I definitely was setting appointments every single day that I was prospecting. So you knock on the door and then you set a, a more formal appointment after you knock on the door? Yeah. Well, our first, our first goal is to, if they're ready now, we'll do the appointment right now. Mm -hmm. um, did, you, did you have some like material? Yeah, like, there's a, it's a yeah. whole education program. I mean, literally our morning books. Yeah. The book of Mormon. That's what you give them. You give them the book of Mormon and each time you have a different lesson that you give to them. And then you have these different challenges. Like one of them is invite them to church on Sunday. One of them is invite them to like a, a midweek function or something, right? Start to integrate them with the community. And, and, and truthfully, like truthfully, it was, it's a lot of value for a lot of people. Let me tell you about like one, uh, <laughs> funny story so like i i got i put on a lot of weight in my mission like because i was i was i just put like 90 pounds on in the first year it was crazy wow 
Yeah. Well, yeah, I was still developing. Bike riding and walking, and you got ninety pounds. Come well, on. I was still, I was still physically developing, right? So I grew, like, I grew like eight inches or something like that. I don't remember seven, five inches, but I grew a bunch, and so I had to go get a new suit fitted in town and so i was getting the suit fitted and there was this really super cute chick that was checking us out and so i pitched her and found out she lived in my area and i was like of course i want to go teach this hot chick right like who wouldn't want to go teach a hot chick so uh she did give me a wrong address here's what's interesting too back in my day then we didn't they didn't cell phones weren't like they are now Brazilians did not have cell phones. So this was, and a lot of them didn't even have house phones. So I had to just like show up at people's fucking houses, right? Like you couldn't just dial them up and set up an appointment. So we went looking for this and we had a walk. It's like a six mile walk to even try and find this address. And we got lost. And at the corner, this is how crazy this is. At the corner of this street on this dirt road, I saw this family and I just was asking them directions. And she asked me, what do you guys do? And I just responded with, we help people be happy. And she's like, well, we need that in our life. We set up a meeting with them. And we were to, for the next day, we showed up. They weren't there. They, well, they were actually there, I found out later. But they didn't answer the door for us. They hid. And so we showed up. This is a story of follow-up. We showed up the next day and caught them off guard, and they let us in. We taught them that first lesson and went on. They ended up getting baptized. They're still very active in the Mormon church today. He's like a church leader locally where he's at. But I didn't know this at the time, but I went back and visited them about five or six years later when I went to Brazil. And they told me that the, – the, and they didn't tell me at the time, but until I went and visited, they said, hey, we never told you this, but – we were planning on separating. So she was moving to another town four hours away. And he was actually had planned that when they had left his, his uh, girlfriend, cause they weren't married at the time. They were just uh, a lot of people aren't married in Brazil. They just live together with and have kids together. Right. So she was planning on taking the kids moving four or five hours away. And he had planned that when they left, he was going to commit suicide. And, and he, he just broke down and said, you saved my life. And not only just saved my life, you saved my family's unity together. So there's some freaking amazing stuff that happens from missionaries for sure. Amazing, amazing stuff. Wow. At what point do you ask them to learn tithing? Um, I can't remember. It's gotta be it's gotta be probably the third or fourth discussion. We it's not right out the get go. So and then are you so is that I mean that's I, that's gotta be an important component is the fundraising. For sure. Dude, the church, the Mormon church, I don't know. Do you know how much money they got? I have no idea. Dude, just in investments, like fucking bank, like bank investments, $100 billion just in that. And that doesn't count the real estate that they own worldwide, and they own all real estate free and clear. They got to wow. be worth a trillion dollars plus at this point. Wow. Crazy, crazy rich. Do you, so like you're not, you know, you don't practice, is it Mormonism? Is that the right word? Uh, they don't call it Mormonism. They they call it the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. It's a mouthful. <laughs> okay, so I mean, you're cursing. So you, I mean, I know that's like anti being Mormon, right? I mean, it's it's frowned upon for sure. Yeah, it and you have is. tattoos, right? What I do. Are your tattoos I got. Of? I got uh, it's hard to see. So I got this one right here. I call it the Eye of God, and then I got here's my daughter's um, birth dates. And then over here on this arm, I got uh, – it stands for presence here in the moment. I think this moment's the only thing we really got. It's timeless. That's crazy. What is that? That's a – what is that, like an atom, that image? 
Uh, it's the molecular. It's, it's atom? kind of like an atom. It's 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 it's, it's kind of like that, but like a, with a wave of a vibration going yeah. outwards. Cool. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Okay, Let's finish good. this because here's what I want to talk about. I think okay. this is a conversation that's not being had, and I think there's a lot of hypothesizing with it. But a lot of my people that I've been talking to that run, like a, a friend of mine that he owns a, a company within the real estate industry, $100 million plus a year company, right? Um, a couple of people I know that, that are big speakers and trainers and super wealthy, they all, I, I asked them this, I said, am I crazy to think that we're on the verge of a collapse of the United States? And all of them said, no, Colton, you're not crazy. I think that's exactly what's happening. Like, it's triggered this sense of insecurity with me. So let's talk about the state of the United States and, and the globe. What, what is your perception of what's going on with this? Because this is wild. This so, is wild what is going on. So one interesting, I'll, uh, I'll, one question I'll, I'll share with you to think about is, is the debt that the U.S. government have, is it actually debt if they have no plan or intention to pay it back? No. You've read, have you read Creature from Jekyll Island? No. You should check out that book, audio version of that book. You know, the real question is, is who's funding that debt? It's the Federal Reserve Bank, right? Mm-hmm. Who, who runs that? Who is behind the Federal Reserve Bank? Because it ain't part of the United States. And England has a central bank. China has a central bank. There's several of them across the world. Who's behind those central banks? And my belief is, and I, I look at me, the name of the game is cash flow, residual leverage residual income. I don't think the Federal Reserve ever plans on getting paid back. Truthfully, what they plan on doing is how can we make sure that we keep getting payments? Because as long as we keep getting payments, we have money flowing in. That's how the economy works. I so just want to know what my, deals are being made when, when you know what I mean? Because there's some deals being made with the Federal Reserve. So my opinion is, is ultimately the dollar is a function of people's belief system in it. It is their belief in the dollar that makes it worth what it is. And I, and I believe that when that belief in the dollar weakens and maybe at a certain point hits a critical mass where a large percentage of the population uh, don't believe in that dollar anymore, then that is when you, know, you run the risk, for example, of like, the dollar no longer being the world reserve for current currency. Right. Um, and so, you know, but the thing that, you know, I go down that rabbit hole and I think about that. And the one thing I, I, I have to take into account is like, yeah, things are pretty crazy right now. And like, you know, the money, the feds printing and all that stuff is pretty nuts. But like every other country on planet earth is actually even worse off than us. What's crazy? So it's well, like you know, with, you know, like well, you it, just saw what with the Western states, California, Oregon, Washington, and, and Colorado did. They just created basically demand letter letter to the federal government that says, "Give us a trillion dollars to stimulate our economy." Mm-hmm. You're starting to see divisions big time within side of countries for sure, like our country, for example. I think I think that um, you know I don't think it's going to be anytime soon, but I do believe that um, you know I don't think like cryptocurrency, for example, will ever you know be a strong or replace uh, fiat currency like the dollar, for example, or euro, yeah. whatever. 
But I do believe that as more people um, widely accept cryptocurrency as a form of payment, that I, I believe that over the course of, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, um, you know, the belief in fiat currencies will go down. And at some point, at some point in the future, I think we do see the decentralization of um, uh, you know, currency and, and that is a possibility going away and it being, you know, and it being more of just a, a global, um, a global co uh, community essentially. Right. Which I think would be ideal. You know, the thing that I think is less ideal is a top down global government, which is a very possible, big possibility. And instead of having the dollar be the, the reserve currency for the world, you have a global currency that's instituted based on alliances that I don't think that's going to happen based on the amount of division right now, but that's a possibility as well. I think we're moving more to decentralization than we are centralized. It would not be, it would not be in the United States interest for cryptocurrencies to win because no, the wouldn't. rest of, I mean, the rest of the world has essentially been helping prop up the United States. Right. I mean, the United States has been able to take advantage of currency arbitrage for the last, you know, I don't even know how many decades. I mean, even before that, you know, it was slavery. Then it's like, you know, then businesses started outsourcing stuff to China and the Philippines and like, you know, getting workers for 50 cents to a dollar an hour. And so like the rest of the world through currency arbitrage has been helping inflate the U.S. and help it, you know, reach its financial where it is financially. Right. I do think that you'll see some more manufacturing come back to our country, though. I think there's a lot of people realizing, hey, we've been at a fragile space with outsourcing as much as we do. Um, at the same time, though, I, 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 don't, I don't see how any government wins through do you the decentralization. See, do you see us getting into an inflationary period or deflationary period? Both. So I know that sounds weird. You know, Ray Dalio talks about it as a long-term debt cycle ending where we go through a long-term deflationary. Um, but also when a long-term deflationary happens, we have inflation in the, in the goods that we need, right? So like bread, milk, eggs, water, cleaning, that stuff, you're already seeing it because supply chain's fucked up. It's going up. Where you're seeing a deflation is jewelry, luxury vehicles. Look at the, the deals they're putting out on cars right now. And it's because people are either laid off or they're afraid of getting laid off or their businesses are down and they're not spending on the luxury. I think, I think I read an article today What part of what makes it unstable right now is people are focusing on paying off bad debt and sitting on capital because they don't know they, they don't know what the future holds and that that comes from fear which for guys like you and me that I, like financially I'm not worried about this situation even if I mean I compare this to worse than the great depression through the 30s why am I not because I think I have the number one currency you have the number one currency it's innovation you have the ability to innovate and create something out of nothing add value and stimulate right but for the people that don't have that in them, yeah, they should be very, very afraid of, of what about to happen. And so I have the ability to take advantage of the deals, of the opportunities, right? Like think about this, 150 grand getting deposited in my bank today from what? And I have 30 years to pay it back at 2.75%. Like think about that for a second. What? We're, speaking of that, where are you going to invest your PPP funds? Are you going to go buy some Bitcoin? 
Uh, probably not with PPP. I'll just I'll just make payments on PPP, but with part of the idle, I'll definitely get into Bitcoin with that. I'll probably I'm definitely moving more into that. My goal is to move into more gold and silver, more more Bitcoin, and more like at tangible assets, holding real estate itself. Um, Gold's pretty high already, right? It's over seventeen hundred. Right, I know it is pretty. I think you're gonna bust two thousand on that, but I don't own gold and silver based on what it shows on dollar, because an ounce of gold is always an ounce of gold. Right. And so to me, I look at it as if there is, like you talked about, the dollar disappears, which maybe it's today, maybe it's 50 years from now. I think it's sooner than later. I want tangible things. I want machinery. I want, I want real estate. I want something. I want decentralized Bitcoin because that there's a limited amount of those. So I don't want you, to sit on a bunch of dollars. So if the United States crashes and burns and we go into the Great Depression, what country would you move to? I'll just stay here. I'm not worried about it. I think I think because what's not going to collapse, you're going to have new community leaders show up. It's not like we're going to have the United States on fire when we see this. You're going to. I think you'll. I think you'll see a move more towards nation states and city states. Have you like, Have you heard about what's going on in Lebanon? The, the the devaluation of their currency and people protesting and burning down the banks in Lebanon. Oh yeah, I think you see that. I think you'll definitely see that in some fucking cities in the U.S. I think you can definitely plan on something like that. What do you, and then I assume you, you follow Robert Kiyosaki. He talks a lot about the pension funds that have been uh, dried up, you know, in like in 10 years, people, you'll see people protesting in the streets. So like, yeah, I mean, even if, you know, if things are really this bad um, over the next 10 years, you still plan on staying here? Yeah. I mean, I live in a great state, Utah. Um, I do, I will probably move more to, uh, I got my eyes set on moving more to rural area with a ranch. I mean, it's not the end just because we're going to like life still goes on in Lebanon, right? Venezuela life still goes on. Brazil went through this in the nineties. Argentina went back and went through this. Germany went through this. Um, although Germany really suffered through this, right? So, um, I think it, I think it's gonna be bad in in major cities. I think anyone that is relying on a government handout is super fucked, which is a lot of the left, you know, democratic view. Um, because you think about it, you, you can't have an economy stimulated without a value addition. Are you more libertarian or Republican? Totally more libertarian for sure, and which which is kind of a bummer because we haven't had true capitalism in our country for well over a hundred years. Um, and I think that's part of the major problem. You look at the 08 crash when you had, you know, these big hard industries, they were bailed out. They should have not bailed out those, in, in my opinion, they should have not bailed out those car manufacturers. Someone should have came and filled the market. But that's an example of a lot of where we've been moving. You know, we went off the gold standard in the 70s. We had the Federal Reserve started in what, like 1910 or something like that. And it's like, We've had greed and power moving for a long time, which is crazy. If we go back to the Mormon concept, if you read the Book of Mormon, you should. The second half of that book pretty much just says, here's what the fuck's going on today. Like, it's, they call it the pride cycle. Give us a, give us a rundown of what it so says. So the rundown is this. You have a complete collapse of a civilization. You have a reorganization and restructure, hence the today's new world order. And then you have it, you build off that foundation and value grows and manufacturing happens and development goes and then you grow over time and there's a lot of abundance, which that's where we've been living for a long time. And when you have that abundance build up, 
the pride sets in, the ego sets in, the desire for power sets in, the, 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 the piece of invincibility. You look at all of these Instagram people that grew like Instagram models and Instagram influencers that made a ton of money and are just like a, a good example is, uh, what's his name? Dan Bilzerian. Yeah. He does not promote anything of positive value to humanity in my, in my opinion, right? And you have a lot more of that happening in, in a sense of just like, I'm invincible. And, and I, you're missing those morals and values at the peak and it starts to collapse. And that's the whole story of the Book of Mormon over and over again. And it's based upon secret combinations or secret oaths or, or corruption inside of the government and corporations. And that is... So what happens after this? Right so tell me about after what happens after this? Oh, after, we have the destruction yeah. of, the, of the entire country according to the Book of Mormon. And so the people, the people that you're speaking to about this, are they also Mormons? Oh, no, this is, I mean, talk to Jeff Latham, you know, Jeff, right? Yeah. Dude, he's all over it on his social media right now. This is not just yeah. a Mormon thing anymore. Yeah. It is no, it is no question that there is mass amounts of corruption in global leadership today. And, you know, Ice-T said it best on the London Real podcast, you know, Trump is the ultimate gangster because you can't find any dirt on him when he's standing uh, waist deep in shit because that's exactly what's going on. Right. Yeah. I mean, you just got a bunch of corruption all the way around on it. So, okay. So if we have a, if, if the United States is like the modern day Rome, that fall, yeah. um, and it's, you know, people like, you know, unemployment stays at 20 plus percent. Uh, you're, you know, you'll have a difficult you time keeping your keeping your houses rented out and your storage units filled. No, I don't think so. I because not it's not going to be like it's going like different areas are going to hit harder, right? There's still going to be value exchange. The challenge you're gonna, is, you're is like do freeze. I, I'd call it the freeze. Like when the market crashed in '08 and '09, there was there was a um, there was a freeze. Like literally, nothing happened for like eight to nine months. You know, people, consumers that were getting a home loan had their loan locked, like a, yeah. a rate lock, and it literally got pulled, you know, after the deal had already been like clear close. It's getting pulled. Yeah, yeah. And You're seeing that now. Yeah, okay, it's happening, it's happening, it's happening yeah. now, right? But but you have to you have to understand there's a part of faith where when you act, gaps are filled. When you look at the Great Depression, okay, 30% were out of work. A good chunk were, were, were just kind of stayed the same. And then a good chunk made tons of freaking money. That's where innovation comes. You have to adapt and innovate in those times, right? So, so there'll be, you'll be forced to innovate. And if you don't innovate, yeah, you will suffer big time. Which is 99.9% .9 of the population. Yeah. But those that aren't, you know, like you think about this, this is how, this is how screwed up it is. So someone that has a $60,000 a year job, they are stoked to get that $1,200 stimulus check that they're going to go spend it on a TV or whatever. I don't know what they're going to spend it on. And then there's, there's people like, I don't know if you did the, the idle loan or not. There's people like us that did the idle loan. They're getting 150 grand, 200,000, 200,000 pumped into their bank account. And then there's, there's bigger people, corporations that are getting millions of dollars pumped in from the government at ridiculously low rates. And then you're going to take that currency. And you're going to figure out how to stimulate and how to, to create, in my belief, if you can create leveraged residual income, decentralized, you've ejected out of the system. That's why I think I think it's so powerful to have cryptos. Truthfully, anything you're doing on the tax side, any like aggressive tax strategies you're implementing? Yeah, I think tax-free wealth is one of the 
the biggest, most important strategies. And I'll give you a simple one. It's called corporate rent. Okay. So the tax, a tax incentive is set up to in, incentivize you to spend money a certain way for the flow okay. of the economy. So it's, yeah. it's for the benefit of everyone. So they want you to do that. So if you understand those rules, one of the ways they want you to do it is, is they have a, a tax incentive called corporate rent where you're, you can, you can rent out a facility for your corporation and you can do a business retreat or a business meeting. It's very, very common. But one of the other things is that is you can actually rent your personal residence out, whether you own it or rent it, you can rent it out less than 14, 14 times or less a year. And you don't have to pay personal income tax on that money collected as a person, but it also becomes an expense as your business. So depending on where your marketplace is on average, it's 1250 per corporate rent retreat. That's about $15,000 in expenses for the business. And it's about $15,000 in personal income. You don't pay a tax on for your personal home. Right. So that's a great strategy for the average realtor that's making $150,000, a year because it will effectively save you about $5,000 you don't have to pay to the government. I'll, I'll share one with you while we're talking about this that I've run across um, recently and, and implemented and it was quite incredible is the R&D tax credit. Okay. There's an R&D tax credit you can get and real estate brokerages um, are eligible and it's not specific to like inventing some new technology or hardware or whatever. And there are these, um, these companies or, or consulting firms around the, around the United States that will help you get access to this federal tax credit um, via this R&D uh, program. And so um, I, I got pre-approved for just over, or I, they basically did an analysis and they can go three years in the rears. They did an analysis on my business in Austin and I, I have six figures. I'm going to get in tax credits through this R and D, um, this R and D tax federal tax credit program. So what does that save effective tax? Um, well, so like, let's say my tax bill is 300 grand, right? Or let's say I paid 300 grand in taxes last year. And let's say my R and D tax credits, 150,000. Um, if I already paid that 300 grand, they're going to, the IRS will mail me a check for the 150. At the front door. Yeah. R and R and D tax credit. Yep, R&D tax credit. And so I found, um, I found somebody that does this and they collect a commission based off the amount of money they're able to recoup for you. Nice. And um, I'll, for anybody watching this podcast right now, um, subscribe, comment, whatever, and DM me and I, I'll go find their information and I'll, I'll email it out. But it's, it's, it's pretty freaking amazing. That's way cool. I'd love to hear more about that. What else? I mean, that's, I look at the, I look at financial freedom as two things, cash flow management and tax-free wealth. Any other, any other tax strategies you got? I mean, I got some, it's kind of gray area though. So <laughs> like, what? so, Hey, Colton, we only got two minutes left. So let's let, I want to finish this off on a totally separate note. Yep. What do you do? Like when you're not thinking about investing, the world falling apart, the, the corruption, um, crypto, real estate, like what do you do for fun besides skiing? What else are you into? Besides skiing? No, I, I, I love to, uh, I love to spend time with my daughters. I got a five-year-old, eight-year-old. And so when I'm not skiing or 
at the gym, which now I have a home gym because it doesn't, you get that right. And if and I'm not working or focusing on this stuff, I'm, I'm with those girls and this, and this little, this little lady too, this little golden doodle. I spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of time with my with my daughters and my family. What's what, uh, boy or girl? It's a girl. Uh, it's a cute little cute little dog. Is that a um? Uh, what is it? Uh, uh, toy? Is it a yeah, toy golden doodle? It's a to- toy golden doodle. And I didn't even know that exists. I thought I was buying a different golden doodle, and turns out I got a toy golden doodle. She's awesome. Her name is Summer Fox. That's awesome. Well, we uh, we have a we have a six pound Maltese, and I also have two girls that are three and the other one just turned one. Oh, nice so we have a lot in common yeah girls are the best man they are they they are teaching uh so much patience so much are you patience. are you going to have any more are you done um for the i don't have any intent to have any more at this point in my life no goal of wanting to get a boy you know what i i, I don't want another girl more than i want a, to try for a boy <laughs> you like girls so much you don't want a third right exactly all right, Cole, man, this has been a great, uh, great episode. Um, I'll send you a copy of what's done. Uh, for those of you all, all of you guys tuning in, um, thank you for watching CEO Secrets. Be sure to check out Colden's Academy for any of real estate agents out there wanting to uh, level up, take their game to the next level. Want more CEO Secrets? If so, you can get a free copy of my book, The Million Dollar Real Estate Team at www.themilliondollarrealestateteam.com for free. Inside this book, you'll find my top secrets that we've used to net $1 million in just three years.